0: After that, I thought, you know, if you are capable of jumping out of a small plane at 14,000 feet and experiencing nothing but joy, it's time for you to face the possibility that you have ADHD. You've been thinking about it and forgetting and thinking about it and forgetting for years. It's time to put that question to rest. And so I did. ADHD Rewired, episode
1: 176. This is the show designed for those of us with really good intentions, but a slightly wandering attention. My name is Eric Tivers. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, coach, and speaker. The website is ADHDrewired.com. We know that starting is the hardest part, So let's get started. But first, let me tell you about this. This very special episode of ADHD Rewired is brought to you by the alumni of ADHD Rewired's ninth season of coaching and accountability groups. Registration for season 10 starts this week. I started the group because I felt so disorganized. I didn't know which direction I wanted to go. And I realized that when I have external structure and a plan, I perform much better.
2: The main reason why I joined this group uh, was because of Eric uh, listening to your podcast.
3: I joined this group for the time management, very practical skills that I wanted to gain, which I did.
2: I joined the group because I needed structure. I needed to figure things out and I needed help in order to do so.
4: Well, I joined this group um, just to kind of get organized with
3: my time management. I did achieve that. I think I learned so
4: much more.
2: I'm just so grateful to have been a part of this social experiment because it was, you know, I sort of likened this to online dating in my skepticism level. I was like, "Ah, I don't know what this is going to be like, but I think, you know, Eric, you stepped it up and you got Slack rolling. I was so proud of you for doing that because when we had interviewed, you were like, I'm thinking about Slack. And I was like, do it.
4: That's awesome. You've provided so many tools that I'll be continuing to live into and revisit and develop and flesh out over time. Like, this is the starter toolkit along with the boot camp. I've
2: got to see a lot of people just, you know, have victories and I've got to see some people really struggle and and get their uh, face bloodied and just get back up again. And that's inspiring to me. The horse loves bucking me off and it's easier to get back on when you see somebody else doing it
4: first. And, like many other people said, living it alongside each other and showing up sometimes with dirt under our fingernails nails and tear streaked faces and then rising again and rising strong and part of the reason why we rose strong yes our individual strength but we knew we were in a safe place to feel what we felt and then to move forward.
1: Rewired works there's a process to it of putting the right people together I'm not alone right there's people just like me and it all has helped me be more comfortable with who I am. I'm on the right path because of this group and what I've learned through the many, many weeks together. It made a huge difference. You know, a lot of the things that we talked about, I've had, I read about before, but by actually living it with you guys like three times a week, you know, it really coalesced and, and brought it together. And I
2: had so many negative, automatic thoughts before that I didn't even know were there.
4: So I think before this experience, I felt like a misfit. Now I know that I'm not a misfit.
3: And I think think that's the most important thing. I also found with the group a safe space to to try and fail and to express my frustration. And and when I say group, I, I mean this larger group, but also my accountability group as well. One of the big lessons that I learned is the value of externalizing all the, the thoughts that have been pinging around in my head and how how useful that is to be able to, to really be able to write them or draw them. Or
2: uh, The group setting for me was uh, the most effective way for me to learn and process the information and the content uh, during this 10-week period. It's, it's a lot of information, a lot of content.
3: I
4: need to overcome this deep-rooted shame that has been with me, not just because of ADHD, But all my freaking life, I want to like practice. I want freedom. I want space to have other people hold space for me to just be my hot mess self. And and I've had that and I'm thankful. And I feel like that's been really helpful. I mean, I've been able to like, I don't know, just let my wackiness come out. And I guess maybe it's like because you get to work it out in this place. You don't have to carry it with you everywhere else you go all the time you know you can just kind of like let it come out let it be free let it pass by you know and I feel like there's so many lessons that I've been working hard on and learning and this group has really given me that place of practice and to let them deepen and to take root more and honestly I am really I don't I don't want it to go away <laughs> I don't
0: want it to go away appreciate the most is having a place of safety and security where there's no reason for me to hide or excuse, justify or explain where the people here are automatically going to accept me no matter what and I know it. I didn't have to vet any of you. Eric did that for me. So I could show up from the very first group and see what it feels like to just be me and to practice thinking that that's okay and enough and everyone else is okay too and that is such a gift. My goal now,
2: having gone through and learned all that we've learned and thank you so much for everything that you've taught, I just feel all the learnings that you've had over all the previous groups all culminate here, But it's to do less and to live more. There's no greater takeaway.
1: Those stories can be your stories. Whether you're new to the podcast or you've been listening for a while, ADHD Rewired really is more than just a podcast. We are a diverse community united by ADHD and driven to learn, grow, and connect. Because we can do hard things, especially when we do them together. Come experience the power of group coaching with ADHD Rewired. Join us for our 10th season of coaching and accountability groups. Schedule your registration interview now. Registration officially starts Wednesday, July 19th, and will end Tuesday, July 24th. That's only five days. To schedule your free, no-obligation interview, go now to coachingrewired.com. My calendar is reserved for you. Hit pause on this audio right now. Go to coachingrewired.com and schedule your call. Go ahead. We'll wait for you. That's coachingrewired.com. Did you do it? If you did, congratulations. Starting is the hardest part, and you started. See? We can do hard things. If you didn't do it, it's not too late. Don't get stuck on the wait list. These are the last sessions of 2017. We start August 21st. Sessions are Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, each one hour long. We have three available sections, but they are filling up quickly. As of Friday, July 14th, Section 1, our 1030 AM Central Time section only has one spot left. Section 3 is 50% full. More information is at the website at coaching.com. Rewired.com. That's coaching coachingrewired.com. And prepare to get your ADHD
3: rewired.
2: Rewired.
3: rewired.
4: Yep, this is me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Bye, everybody. Love you guys, you all.
3: Love you guys you. too. Bye,
4: bye. bye for now. Too.
1: Welcome back to another episode of ADHD Rewired. Today's guest is Diane Wingert. Diane is a licensed psychotherapist, master certified coach, parent of adult children with ADHD, and she has ADHD herself. Her diagnosis did not come until the age of 60 after many years of what she calls dancing with denial. Diane specializes in coaching high-functioning but underachieving adults with ADHD who are ready to feel as successful in their relationships as they do in their careers and create an ADHD friendly life. Diane, welcome to the podcast.
0: I'm so happy to be here, Eric. Thanks for inviting me.
1: I am so happy to have you here. So um, as I was reading your bio, I realized like that in and of itself is a shift for you in the last 10 weeks so you were a member of our most recent coaching group and um and it was during this group where you were sort of beginning to make that transition from uh therapist and in private practice to coaching sort of general coaching with some adhd stuff to really sort of focusing on adhd
0: Well, Eric, you'll remember that I was one of the first people to volunteer to be on the hot seat for Mastermind. I do. And I have been a licensed psychotherapist for over 20 years. I started working with a coach myself about two and a half years ago, and I've subsequently worked with several coaches, including yourself. Along the way, I fell in love with coaching. I realized that this was really the optimal way for me to help people at this point. And I was coaching primarily women at midlife, although some cool guys as well. And without any intention on my part to attract women with ADHD, they were coming. They've always come. In fact, I've never marketed to ADHD, but a huge percentage of my clients have ADHD. Some of them knew it when they came to work with me and some of them didn't. So... You'll remember with the mastermind, I asked the group to help me make the decision whether I really wanted to shift completely into an adult ADHD focused niche. And I was really feeling it in my heart, as we so often do, and just really needed the support and the push of the group to make that commitment. And I have. So in that works, so what have you, uh, What's what kind of
1: discoveries have you been making sort of about yourself as you have given yourself permission to serve in that way?
0: You know, I loved being a therapist. It's a big part of my identity. Mm-hmm. I love being a person who is of service. And I have always been drawn to people who struggle My childhood is pretty similar to that of many therapists. I think most people who end up in a helping profession never arrive there by accident. We oftentimes have had challenges that we've needed to overcome in our own lives, often from an early age. But what I discovered when I went into private practice about six years ago was that the skill set that helped me be a great therapist really didn't help me at all as a business owner. Mm -hmm. And the realizations that I had in the first few years of struggling along on my own as a therapist turned business owner was how I was first introduced to coaching. And one of the groups of people I really enjoy working with now are entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. with ADHD, because you well know there are many. Mm -hmm. We don't fit as neatly into the boxes and often have to do things our own way, which can be the start of a path to entrepreneurship. But what I really like about coaching, Eric, and how much I've enjoyed working with you as a coach, is the focus on setting and achieving goals and dealing with the obstacles that come up inevitably along the way, but not having those obstacles be as big a focus as they are with therapy. That's been one of the big shifts for me.
1: Mm. Your story of sort of how you discovered ADHD, and from that point to sort of the origin of sort of discovering ADHD in a more um, academic sense, is a really interesting one. Will, will, you, will you share that that story?
0: <laughs> well, I don't. I, I am very keen not to take more credit than I deserve, Eric. So I am not the person who discovered <laughs> ADHD. In case that's what anyone thinks they're hearing, now I, I think that belongs to. Uh, people far more knowledgeable and with much bigger credentials than mine. But how my personal discovery and I would say my own relationship with ADHD developed was I I believe I've always known there was something different about me. Mm -hmm. And I have searched for an answer to that. You know, why am I different? What's different about me? Why aren't I like the others? Why can't I be happy with the things that make other people happy? Why can't I approach problems the way other people approach them? Why can I make friends and enjoy other people, but still not feel like one of them? And that's been really something that I don't want to say has plagued me, but it's been just an ongoing unsolved mystery for me for most of my life. Mm -hmm. I did very well in school and I realized that that sets me apart from many people with ADHD because many people, including some of my own kids, have really struggled in the academic environment. But I actually thrived there. In the fourth grade, I was identified as gifted Mm -hmm. and they wanted to skip me over the next grade. But when they put me through the standard battery of tests, they discovered that I had some very unusual learning differences, Mm
3: -hmm.
0: including being really challenged spatially. You know, they would show me the little boxes and say, we're going to rotate this box 90 degrees to the, the right. The and the now worst. what is it? Like? It's the worst. Oh, my oh. God. I had like a total breakdown. I was like sobbing, like, please, I don't want to skip a grade. Just let me go home because of those damn boxes, you know,
1: <laughs> when you said that. So um, there was a very short stint of time where I, I became a certified Cogmed coach. Um, mm. And uh, part of that training, you have to sort of go through the, the Cogmed training and so this is one one of the exercises is is just this uh, uh it's a four by four grid that lights up um in like a certain order it'll light up and then it will rotate 90 degrees and you have to say which one like no. I could like I was maybe getting two or three and like mm. like when I go to like the, the uh the gas pump and they have the picture of the credit card it's like I put it in five <laughs> different ways even though there's only four possible options because I don't remember which way I actually put it in
0: oh yeah the, the picture uh, it doesn't help it's You're so like, hard what's the matter with me it's so hard and here's the thing because I know this is true for so many other people with ADHD they know they're smart They know they're bright. They may even be identified as gifted or Mm -hmm. talented. Back when I went through school, the program was called MGM, Mentally Gifted Minors. Now it's called GATE. One of my kids was in GATE. So you hear that you're talented. You hear that you're gifted. And that conveys the impression that you're smarter than the average bear. Mm -hmm. But- how can you have these incredible struggles at the same time that make simple things hard and hard things simple? It makes no sense.
1: Yes, I, I love how you said that. that my, um, you know, my, my son is identified as, as gifted as well, and he has some other challenges to be what you call twice exceptional. And this whole idea of like gifted, it's like when you, if you're around other like parents who don't understand giftedness, it almost sounds like you're bragging, but yes. it's like, but it's not. It's like you don't understand how hard it is to actually like to have a gifted kid or, or to be gifted. It's like it's having giftedness. It's not that you're gifted in every area of life. Right. It's its its own unique challenge. And I almost think that it has a, I don't know reverse stigma is the right way to sort of describe it but it's like i would agree with that you know it's like because it doesn't it doesn't mean what it what it mean what it sounds like
0: yeah it doesn't mean what it appears to me i think there are a lot of labels I and mean, <laughs> we can talk about labels all day long but there are a lot of labels that aren't really a great fit adhd for one I mean, how many people really want to adopt that slogan yeah. with the words deficit and right. disorder right. right. and gifted? It sounds like something you want to be. But man, being a kid and feeling different and noticing that you're different and then getting this label that makes it sound like it's every day's your birthday. It doesn't feel <laughs> that way when all you want is to fit in. All you want is to belong. All you want is to be like the others and you just aren't. I think that's a painful experience Mm -hmm. for kids. And I think the label makes it even more so. I would totally agree with you on that. Mm. So now when you were
1: in, in, was it in college or grad school, weren't you, you were studying, you did your dissertation? Fast
0: forward (laughs) a couple of years. My first career was in medical sales. And I think sales is a terrific career for anyone with ADHD because you are always focusing on the prize and you know exactly what you need to do. You have proof when you've been successful, Mm -hmm. you either got the sale or you didn't. So it was very well suited to me, but eventually I got bored as I always do. And I ended up at that time having a, a car accident that left me unable to work for a while. And I realized that all the driving I was doing all over Southern California was just not something that was going to be possible for me anymore. Mm. So I started doing some volunteer work as I was rehabilitating. And I walked into a local family service agency and said, you know, I I think I'd like to do some volunteer work. I'm feeling kind of useless. I'm not working right now. And do you have anything that I can do? they asked me if I had any experience with domestic violence. And I said, well, I, I grew up in an abusive home. Does that count? And they said, you're in. <laughs> now, this was years ago. And I now I'm really shocked. Once I've gone through the education and training to become a licensed therapist, I realized, oh, my God, they just bas- basically took me off the street. <laughs> but they let me start running groups for women in domestic violence relationships. Like
1: right off the bat?
0: Well, like I literally went home that day and started studying and this is pre-internet. So I started studying um, everything I could get my hands on about domestic abuse and the, the cycle of violence. And so I came back and said, all right, so what do you need for me to do? And they just saw how eager I was and how quickly I was able and willing to learn something new. So they said, well, we, we have a group and have at it. So I, that was my introduction to social work. I completely fell in love with it. Next thing I knew I was in grad school.
1: So you really reinvented yourself there.
0: I've done this several times. I, I've had several careers and I have also had more than one marriage. And I, this is something I've had a lot of shame about Mm. over my life is that I am a person who builds something and then once it's built and it's in the maintenance stage, I kind of want to go build something else. And I, I always thought that. It's like what's the matter with you why can't you just stay the course people are really happy to build something and then just to be able to live in it so to speak but i always wanted to take on the next challenge and for me that's that's meant several completely different careers but while i was in grad school and this was in the early 90s so i was already in my 30s and i by that time had three kids and my oldest son had a lot of struggles I really knew from the age of two, there's something going on with this kid that even though I was a young and inexperienced parent, I just knew intuitively Mm -hmm. something's going on that shouldn't be. And by the time he was eight, he was diagnosed with ADHD and put on Ritalin, which did help, but it still wasn't enough. And it wasn't until he was 15 years old and struggling with much more significant behavioral challenges that we got to the bottom of things. And it turns out he's actually bipolar Mm. and ADHD. Mm. So his life has been very, very challenging. However, when I really started learning then initially about ADHD, because I wanted to be a good parent and I wanted to meet my child's needs and made sure he got the best of care and so forth, I would look at the symptoms and think, hmm, some of this looks kind of familiar, but... I just could not imagine that I would have the same condition as my son when I excelled in the settings where he struggled so much. It was just, it didn't add up for me. How
1: could this be the same thing?
0: How could it be? But, you know, there was very little, well, I think at that point in time, there was almost no information about adult ADHD, No books were written about it. No one was really talking about it. And I was trained at the UCLA Neuropsychiatric Institute, and I began working with a group of boys who had been diagnosed with ADHD and learning challenges. And I started thinking, I don't know how much good this is going to do, meeting with these kids for a couple hours a week. Seems like there should be more of a comprehensive program. I'd like to meet their parents. And maybe talk to their teachers. So as I was allowed to start talking to the parents, it was like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> These parents are saying we didn't think anything was wrong with the kid. We we only we only knew when the school kept calling us. And so I thought, wait a minute, maybe this doesn't go away. And I'm a very curious person. So I really started trying to find out more information, couldn't find much, so I pitched the idea to my academic advisor that I'd be allowed to do my master's thesis on Adults with ADHD. And this is so embarrassing to admit now, but. And this is just because you were seeing it in these kids. Yes. Well, I was working with the kids. I have my own son to deal with. Then I met the parents of the children I was working with and I started seeing the signs in them and they started saying, yeah, I was always that way. So I started looking for more information on adult ADHD. And when I didn't find it, I I said, I think I need to do my thesis on this. And I recently came across the thesis, which was buried somewhere. And when I pulled it out and reviewed it, I saw a couple paragraphs under a heading researcher bias. And I identified then more than 20 years ago, Eric, that I may be biased in my research because I identify with many of these traits while I am not diagnosed with ADHD myself. So I even had enough insight and self-awareness to write that and then promptly forgot all about it again.
1: <laughs> and what I think is funniest about that is how often I hear stuff like that Like people who who come to me and say, I was diagnosed three or four times because I forgot each time that I was diagnosed prior to that. Yes,
0: right. Now I realize, oh, that's just something we do. And, you know, honestly, who wants to have a diagnosis, a mental health diagnosis, if they don't have to? And so for me, it was almost like, well, maybe I do, maybe I don't. But even if I do, I'm kind of beating the system, which seemed fun to me to see how far I could go. Mm -hmm. but. I really think I was, the part of me I was not in touch with was that I really felt it would be shameful. And I, I understand now I've had a lot of therapy and, and a fair amount of coaching. I understand now that it was what I made the diagnosis mean about me that prevented me from seeking an assessment sooner. What do you think it meant
1: Like at that time? What was the story you were telling yourself?
0: I was telling myself that it meant my brain was defective. That there in fact was something wrong with me. I wasn't simply different. I was damaged. Mm. I was damaged goods. And when you grow up in an abusive household, I was also adopted. And Some of the kids that were adopted by my parents were later sent back. So Mm. in my particular situation, there was a fear that if I didn't make the cut, so to speak, I could be one of them. So I became masterful at hiding anything about me Mm. that would be perceived as a weakness or a deficit. So, and that included we, my ADHD, well, big time.
1: When we talk about this idea of masquerading as normal, sounds like you were putting in like double, triple effort to to you know put on that mask.
0: As a child, I honestly felt like my life depended on it. Plus, I, I think Eric, there was a fair amount of confusion because I was a teacher's pet. I did well in school, and that was where I got my self esteem needs met. So I really needed to not only be not abnormal, mm-hmm. I needed to be better than normal. And so a lot of effort went into that. And, and my self-esteem at that point really depended on that, even though all those traits could probably have been discerned by someone who is really good at discerning ADHD in an otherwise high-functioning child. So what about uh, perfectionism? Big time. <laughs> You want to know, it's funny though. I didn't actually acknowledge that to myself until I was a member of the ADHD rewired coaching group. And it was kind of funny because a few weeks ago, I said to my husband, so, you know, I think I might be a perfectionist. He was literally bent in half laughing, (laughs) like the kind of laughing, like slap your knee and gasping for breath kind of laughing. And I thought, wow. So I started asking a few other people and they're like, Duh. It's like, and you know, what's funny is when I, when I finally was diagnosed a year ago, I've been working with a therapist for on and off for the last three to four years. And I'm one of those clinicians who just believes that a therapist should be in therapy and a coach should have a coach. Mm -hmm. So I was working with this therapist and I told her, you'll never guess what. I was just diagnosed with ADHD. She got this big grin on her face And I said, Susan, is there something you want to tell me? And she says, well, you act like I should be surprised. And I said, you're not. And she said, no, of course not. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, my God, I wonder who else knows. And it was just this moment of, wow, I really need to rethink this. Because here I've been hiding in plain sight all these years. And I thought I was doing such a splendid job of covering it up. But some of them saw through and I was like, hmm, you know, maybe it's time to just drop the act altogether. And with that, the perfectionism was revealed. And so now I get to start peeling back the layers on that as well.
1: Mm. And I know that uh, in the past we talked about that idea of imposter syndrome. And uh, I think it's so common for so many of us of uh, it's like you know yeah i'm doing these extraordinary things you know based on what other people say but you know internally like i you know it's like if you only knew how hard i was working at it and like how much like i thought i was covering things up to to make it look like, you know it's and it's when you could sort of let that go it's sort of like the the analogy of the chinese finger trap you know it's like the, the, mm, the more you yep. pull away the tighter the grip is Right. When you sort of lean into it, you can just, you know, it. you kind of can gently just pull yourself away from that, that, that grit.
0: I have to actively remind myself to steer away from the thought, it's too bad I didn't deal with this sooner. Yeah. This would have been really helpful in my previous marriage. If I had known this about myself fully, I would have been a better parent. And while I think it can be helpful sometimes to walk down memory lane and to recognize there were times in my life when knowing I had ADHD and knowing that there were things I could do about it would have made such a huge difference. But when you consider the statistic that 85% of adults who have ADHD don't even know it, I am simply choosing to think every day that I am one of the lucky ones.
1: It's a it's a I
0: think it's a helpful and healthy perspective
1: to have, um, you know, a, a late diagnosis. does not change our past, but it does change our understanding of the past. And I think so much of just psychological wellness has to do with can we make sense of something? And if we can make sense of something, um, it has a place that we can put it in in our mind. And that's a really important uh, piece to sort of uh, um, moving forward from, you know, the, and moving through the challenges of the, what could have been if I would have known. It's like, well, you can't change that. Right. Um, but it just, but it can change your understanding of, of everything that we've been through in the past. So you, you said that when you were 60 is when you finally got mm-hmm. an official evaluation and diagnosis. Yes. What, mm-hmm. what, what was it that, um, that sort of made you finally do that?
0: For me, Eric, it was recognizing that two-thirds of my life, at least, is over already. And while I believe I've had a good life, it's not been an easy one. And every 10 years when I have a milestone birthday, I do something big and scary because I've noticed that many adults, maybe even starting as early as 40, they start to shrink they start to kind of believe less in the future Mm. they're more focused on the past and their mistakes and regrets and one of the traits that i really like about myself is that i've always been very future focused i now understand this is true of many people with adhd Mm -hmm. but and of course having a terrible memory helps because (laughs) You you every day is full of surprises, even if you've already learned something before. So I like to think that, okay, it's time to get serious about what's left of your life so that when you get to the end, whenever that comes, you can feel a sense of satisfaction knowing that you made the most of it. I say I want to squeeze all the juice out of the orange before I throw away the rind. And I want to use up my life before it's over. So the year I turned 50, there was a a vintage Volkswagen Beetle that I had my eye on. And it was the very first type of car I'd fallen in love with as a teenager. So what prevented me from getting it was that it was a manual transmission. And I never learned how to drive a manual. So my husband told me, I will get you that car if you learn how to drive it. So that was the first challenge I took on at 50. When I turned 60, I decided I would fulfill a long held wish and kind of a dare to myself to go skydiving. Did you really? I I did. Sure did. At 50 or 60? 60. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know what? It was fantastic. And after that, I thought, you know, if you are capable of jumping out of a small plane, at fourteen thousand feet and experiencing nothing but joy, it's time for you to face the possibility that you have ADHD. You've been thinking about it and forgetting, and thinking about it and forgetting for years. It's time to put that question to rest. And so I did. That's awesome.
1: That's so. I didn't. I did not know that uh, that you, you had done that. One of the things that I want to. Uh, um, talk about with you is um, there was uh, there was something that I had said uh, during one of our coaching group sessions that I was uh, reluctant to, to even say out loud because I was very sort of subconscious conscious um, of this. And you had given me the feedback that it was a that you were so grateful that I had shared what I did because it, it had a big impact on you. What I want to do, though, first is I want to take a quick break. After the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about your uh, your story, your experience in the coaching group. And we'll come right back and talk about what was it that I said that kind of gave you permission to uh, to really um, live in a much more intentional way. So then we will be right back.
3: I joined this group because I was lost. I didn't know where I was headed. I'd given up on life. I know I wanted to change my future. If not for me, I wanted to change it for my son. I was fortunate to stumble upon this group. I would have skipped on going on with my struggles, but it's something in me told me I have to stop and explore this. I'm glad I did that. In the group, I've discovered things that I'm passionate about. I've learned to laugh at myself and not hate myself when I fail at small things. I've realized ADHD impacts different people differently, and there is so much to me, and ADHD is not the word that defines me. I have felt
4: alone for my whole life. You know have a family that loves me, have, you know, people and stuff, but I've always felt very alone. Like just like I'm slightly out of phase with like the rest of the world. To just be here and to see everyone, just like it takes like a weight off me. Just to not feel alone in the world is a huge thing. Just learning from you and how you hold the space in this gentle way, but also holding people's feet to the fire. It's so instructional. For all of us, it's such great modeling. And then that compassion that's ever present in all that you teach, because like many people have said, the productivity piece, man, that's where we've beaten ourselves up all the time. And so to have the bravery, all of us, to show up with the possibility that this could be another old Smackdown, but then Eric, to provide the grace to let that be a different experience, man, that's
1: priceless listening to other people and looking through the exercises and the coaching you provide is huge.
3: I wasn't expecting to really grow as a person and uh, I thought it was just like an organizational group. It was so much more than that and I'm just so grateful to be a part of this group. It actually was amazing. It was an amazing experience and I will never forget it. I joined the group for all the tricks of how to plan, and they work. I'm here to tell you they work, and I feel like I've gained so much through that. I needed that more than anything, really. The uh, Just holding my hand as we planned that, you know, and expanding that time horizon. But I think what I gained even more than that was regaining the trust within myself, right? Becoming more trustworthy to myself and being more compassionate to myself. Knowing that if I schedule something for tomorrow that It'll probably get done instead of what would happen before, which is just the voice that would say, no, it won't. Who are you kidding? So that to me is really exciting and a huge win for me.
2: I just feel all the learnings that you've had over all the previous groups. My goal now, having gone through and learned all that we've learned, that it's to do less and to live more.
1: Come live more with ADHD Rewired. Come to coaching Rewired rewired.com to schedule your registration interview today. Same day interviews may be available. Registration ends July 25th. Join us because together it really is possible to get our ADHD.
3: Rewired.
1: Come now to coaching rewired.com. If you're catching this on the day it came out on Tuesday, July 18th, you can join me at 1230 p.m. Central Time for a free interactive workshop that will guide you through planning your month, week, and day. Register at erictivers.com slash events. Yesterday, we covered your year, quarter, and month. If you missed either of these, head on over to patreon.com slash ADHD Rewired. I'm going to post the replay for our $5 a month supporters. So I hope to see you there. And we are back with Diane Wingert. So right before the the break, I mentioned that during one of our coaching sessions, there was something that I was sort of reluctant to say because it was one of those things where it's like you think this thing but you're not really sure how it's going to sound and you say it out loud and so i feel like i you know it's one of these things where i need to really give a lot of preface to okay I, so i sort of know how this sounds and even right now as i'm about to share what it is i'm like oh do i really <laughs> want to say this but what i said to the group was you know one of the the real keys to really managing your ADHD and really mastering your your life with ADHD is bending the world to you and my my heart kind of skipped a couple of beats there as I said this out loud um because I because I understand how that can come off it can come off as selfish and egocentric and maybe even narcissistic but I look at it as like you know what I have to I have to do that um it's you know this is what drives me uh you know on my on my voicemail for my my work I say, don't leave me a message. Schedule a call with me. Like that's an example of me bending the world to me. Right? Because you leave me a message and you know, there's the odds are probably better that I'm not gonna call you back. But I'm gonna be thinking about the fact that I haven't called you back. And that just like adds to the shame. I don't wanna carry that around. Absolutely. So that's one way that I sort of bend it to you. So when I said that, what was your kind of reaction?
0: I remember it very distinctly because I'm a good face reader. So, seeing you on the Zoom screen, just as you were about to say it, you had this sheepish look and that alerted <laughs> me to okay, this something is going to be said here that's significant because it's it's causing a shift in his emotional state. So, I was really paying attention and when you said it, I thought, "Oh, my goodness." that thought has never crossed my mind and it sort of settled in on me for a second as that's what you need to do because i have now 61 years of experience doing my damnedest to conform to the expectations of the world as i see them and it's hit or miss and even when it's a hit, it's not comfortable. Yeah. And it's hard. And sometimes I end up fitting in and realizing not only is this a tight space, I don't even like it here. Yeah. yeah. So the notion that I could actually start to shape the world around me, what works for my brain, what meets my needs, what helps me function, that thought was just, it blew my mind. And I realized that is the permission I need to start to clarify how my life needs to look to be ADHD friendly. And it's not that it's such a revolutionary statement, because it can be quite simple to do that. It's that it triggers all the awareness that we have about what our culture expects of us i mean it goes all the way back to early childhood you're a student your job is to go to school going to school means you sit still you only raise your hand when you're invited to do so you get there on time you take breaks when they're allotted to you and you know the whole process of Indoctrination starts then. Well, if that doesn't feel comfy for you, you start thinking the world is not a friendly place. It's a hostile environment. And so, how I'm now starting to reshape my life is instead of thinking I have to work these certain hours because that's what's expected of me, I'm paying attention to my own biological rhythms and creating hours that work for the brain I've got instead of the one I Mm -hmm. thought I had or thought I was supposed to have. It's, it's totally, it's completely changing the way I'm living my life.
1: You know, I think it it comes down to those three simple words. It's, I am enough. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, I'm worthy of love and belonging. I can do what I need to do so I can give my best to the world, to those that, that matter the most to me, instead of trying to, to, be this this thing that i'm not right um you know like i i last weekend i just moved um and so i'm now commuting 45 minutes from home and i and i <laughs> well, well, well i am making the most out of it i'm i'm listening to more audiobooks right now um i hate commuting like mm-hmm. it's it's, Cause it's boring it's you know, I went for my three minute commute or like my, like traffic was when someone was backing out of a driveway and I had to like slow it <laughs> out. Like, and like mm. that was me bending the door. And you know, when I tell people this, they're like, well, lots of people can, I'm like, I'm not lots of people. Like, mm. you know, it's, it's like, do you
0: actually say that Eric? Yeah. Yeah. I, See, I love that. I love that. Just simple proclamation i'm not most people and no shame necessary because you're not and i'm not and the other thing that i'll often say and
1: maybe received uh, not as nicely possibly is um you know they say a lot of people do that i'll say well a lot of people are fools
0: OK, that may not go over as well.
1: <laughs> but, but in my mind, I think, like, why would you spend like an hour and a half of your day that's like seven hours a week and you know, multiply that by a year? It's like that's insane to me. Like, like I, I need that extra time in my life to do the things that take me longer to do anyway. So it's like I don't want to
0: spend that driving. But you do know that. For us, boredom is like a life-threatening condition, yeah, and that's just not true for everyone on the planet. <laughs> Some people can tolerate it remarkably well. Bored, boredom is a life-threatening.
1: It, it, you know, it, it really is. It true. feels it, that way. It, it can be because if you're doing stuff to stimulate your brain, that's not safe. It truly is a can be life-threatening uh, yeah. condition. So, so let's talk about. um well, why did you end up joining the coaching group?
0: I've been working with an individual coach who is a neurotypical. And it's been a struggle. And I think, you know, as part of my own journey to discovery and self-acceptance of my ADHD, I was actually, in spite of being a therapist and a coach and having kids with ADHD, one diagnosed in childhood and another in young adulthood, for some reason, I still thought once I got around to getting diagnosed myself, I would just take medication and everything would change. <laughs> the magic elusive bill, of course. Yeah. And of course, everything didn't change. And so I spent a year just on medication and waiting for that change, meanwhile, struggling in my coaching relationship and in my business and in pretty much all the ways that I had always struggled. And I think there was something about that 60th birthday and the skydiving experience that made me realize, you know, you're not going to be around forever. I mean, truly any of us could be dead tomorrow. So I just decided I owed it to myself to get some more tools. I had been listening to your podcast for several months and I think a couple of times I, almost signed up for a scheduling call and then I canceled it are you able to track those by the way yeah oh <laughs> well yeah that was me anyway I, I gotta tell you I think most people that
1: I talk to well maybe a lot a lot of people that I talk to share that that they've been thinking about signing up for like for multiple like uh, seasons so yeah it's it's uh it's not not an uncommon uncommon thing
0: well I think for me, um, Eric, part of it was you know just struggling along with a coach who does not have ADHD and frankly doesn't believe it exists uh, that it was hurts not my heart experience. when I hear that <clears throat> that that's been really challenging and you know, I went through the whole spiral of maybe it doesn't exist, maybe I'm not as capable as I think I am, maybe this is just some grandiose notion that. You know, I haven't re- achieved my potential, but maybe this is what it is. And so that was an interesting experience. But I continue to listen to podcasts. I thought about the group. And for me, joining the group meant going public in a way,
3: mm-hmm.
0: because even working with an individual ADHD coach, it's a pretty intimate setting. Mm-hmm. And you could keep that information to yourself, your psychiatrist and your coach right, and nobody else. So I understood that joining the group meant I was going to be taking that next step forward in coming out of the ADHD closet, if you will, as well as giving myself the gift for the first time of a community of people who truly got me. That has probably been one of the most transformative things about the group because that's an experience I've never had before. I've been a joiner all my life. I've been in many groups. I was in a sorority. I've joined all kinds of different organizations and group settings at different times, always kind of looking and hoping for that goodness of fit, never really finding it. When I joined the ADHD Rewired Coaching Group, I think it was the first or second session. I thought, oh, my God, these people are just like me. What did that did that
1: feel like for you?
0: Honestly, it made me want to cry. Uh, it felt like it felt like a family reunion with a bunch of people you never met before, but they are your people, and I was worried that, you know, I, I have some self consciousness, well, a lot of self consciousness about being gifted and ADHD. And I worried that I was really going to stick out like a sore thumb in the group. And I found that the group was both diverse and um, I found a lot of people who were so much like me, who were outwardly successful, but inwardly felt fraudulent and like they, they were one small mistake away from a house of cards collapsing on them. And that's been phenomenal.
1: Dan, that's what you just said, that the feeling like your are one small mistake from a house of cards collapsing is, that's a, a feeling that I often wrestle with, you know, and I think it's part of that imposter syndrome part of that, like, it's that what what really important I did I forget to dot or important T that I forgot to cross that's going to, like, bring it all crashing down. And from talking to so many people, you know, seeing that that's such a, um, it's a very common experience. and. I mean talk about like sort of that feeling of of not feeling secure in the thing that you actually do pretty good at. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's this is really uncomfortable paradox.
0: It's I think it's one of the reasons why it's so hard for us to acknowledge our wins, our accomplishments, our successes because everything feels so tenuous. Yeah. And yet the failures, the mistakes, the the oversights Always seem so much more magnified. Now I understand because I've studied some neuroscience that that's how all human brains work. They magnify the negative because it's what's kept us alive yeah. this long. Yeah. So I can kind of get off my own back a little.
1: Yeah. I always find it um, uh, striking when um, listening to to someone from the group um, sort of talk about uh, how powerful having that. The experience of being with other people who are like them and get them like I, I find myself I get kind of choked up almost every time I hear someone talking about that because it's uh, you know I think it's one of the reasons why I love groups so much um, it's because there's you know you can't get that in a book you can't get that in an individual conversation with a professional you get that in community and um, there's, there's something that's almost immeasurable about that but I, I I hope that every listener who's listening to this right now, whether it's in in one of my groups or in some other group, that they can experience that 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 feeling of of kinship, of of tribe, of of um, being connected to people who aren't judging you and who are kind of just like you, even if their stories are different. The 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 narrative of that story so similar.
0: You know, you're probably aware that. Individuals who are adopted, uh, there is a preponderance of people with ADHD mm-hmm. among those who are adopted. There are more unplanned pregnancies among women with ADHD, and um, we're not always good at at uh, thinking through the consequences of our behavior. So a lot of people who are adopted have ADHD. And so I think for me, part of the significance of being part of the group and seeing myself in others and them seeing themselves in me was particularly significant because of the experience of being adopted and not even growing up with people who looked like me. Mm. So it's it's been really meaningful. Mm. Um, What do you
1: think if, or someone listening right now um, who is maybe considering joining uh, the group what do you think that that um like do you remember where, where you were uh, before you joined and you were sort of contemplating it like was there something that sort of struck for you like okay like this is this is the time did my question not make any sense I think I should have no no like, they, no they, no, they it make it sense. Just, no I
0: think <laughs> honestly it was well I like your process. Because the screening call was really where that happened for me. I liked the podcast. I liked what I saw on your website. I felt that I was ready to make the shift from individual coaching to group work for all the reasons we've discussed. But you'll probably remember when we got on the screening call, you asked me what my goal was. And I said, I really just wanted to see how you and I connect. I really just wanted to see, you know, cause when you, you were a voice in my ears and right. you were some words on a website, I really wanted us to see each other and to see how that felt. And as a result of that meeting, I decided I was in the right place.
1: That's good to hear.
0: And now here we are again, <laughs> here we are again. And as your brother, I was like, Oh yeah, I do remember that. Uh <laughs> And, and my daughter, Marissa, is going to be in the next group. Well, that's awesome. That's awesome. So you said
1: um, that there was a whole, like, you just was it today, yesterday, you developed a, a, a six-step system?
0: I was going over my notes because you've taught me the importance of planning ahead and not just winging it, even though I've had a good long run with winging it for most of my life. And it still comes in handy sometimes. You know, it's. I, I rather like having it in my pocket. You yeah. Know? But not having it be the only thing in my pocket, that and some lint. But I was thinking about our conversation today and what I most wanted to be able to share with your listeners. And going over in my mind everything that's happened in this past year, deciding to get evaluated, being diagnosed, going on medication, and joining the coaching group. I realized it's really been a journey to self-acceptance and there have been different sort of milestones along the way. So I just jotted those things down. And if you'd like, I can share them with you. Yes. I'd Love to hear that. So I'm just thinking of this as these are kind of milestones on my path to self-acceptance. And the first one for me was really making a very conscious decision about what the diagnosis means about me, which meant I really needed to go back and reevaluate my belief system about myself and taking the diagnosis into account and deciding that it did not mean that I was defective or damaged. I was simply different, something I'd always known. Only instead of different being a negative, I decided that it was going to be a positive. And no one can take that belief away from me. That's mm. that's mine to own. And it feels better. I would say the second stage was reframing my identity with ADHD in mind. And my metaphor or analogy for that is that I'm like a stained glass painting that was missing one of the colors. And I think of my ADHD as yellow. I don't know why. So I've now incorporated another color into the stained glass uh, window. And my identity has now been reframed with ADHD in mind. Then I refined my expectations of myself and for myself. After that, I understood that I needed to renew my commitment to self-care. And to finding out what aspects of self-care had been neglected and what needed to be included as a priority. And you have really helped me with that, with all the teachings from the book, The One Thing, about time blocking and setting boundaries. After that, I set about reinventing my habits changing my lifestyle and shifting my environment to be more ADHD friendly as a direct result of your comment about bending the world to me. And finally, and I'm still involved in this and think I will be for a while, renegotiating my relationships, obviously with myself, but also with my partner, my children, my clients, my friends, and everyone else. Because as I now realize, my ADHD has been a third party in all of my relationships, but never acknowledged. And frankly, relationships is where I've struggled most. I think I've been much more successful out in the world than I've been at home. Mm. And that's very shameful for a woman, especially. But now that I have this information about myself, I'm learning how to advocate for myself without excusing, justifying, or over explaining, or just ignoring the very real reality that my behavior affects other people. And that is my responsibility. Mm. So that's where I'm at now.
1: Thank you for sharing that.
0: Of course. Now,
1: you're starting a podcast.
0: Yes. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> it that's, hasn't been released yet well, that's that's some, no. like, extra kind of ability there and
0: uh, yes so and I,
1: so part of the your it was an assignment that you uh, took on as part of your master coaching
0: yes uh, it's a master so, coach certification and each of us needed to produce something for our final project so i decided i would release a podcast for women with adhd over 50.
1: and uh Do you have a name for that podcast yet?
0: ADHD woman over 50. (laughs) There you go. There you go. And uh, when do you think that's going to be released? Well, it first has to be submitted yes, and it has to be approved. And then uh, if it doesn't meet approval, whatever reworking, but I am also in the process of mapping out my coaching program. And I do want to say that I really like working with men too. So while I will be primarily marketing to midlife women who are either newly diagnosed or are newly acknowledging their ADHD and want to reshape their lives with that in mind, I like working with guys too. I've raised a couple of sons and um, so I don't want to exclude them. But my, my group is predominantly women because the majority of us don't get diagnosed in childhood. And there is a huge number of women who don't even suspect they have ADHD until after 40 or 50, and many of them are diagnosed incorrectly before that. So I think that's a place I can really be of service and a place where my own story really resonates.
1: Oh, I I think you're going to really change many lives. Very happy that our our paths have crossed where, where uh, where it did. So... Dan, where can people sort of find out more about you and you know, check out maybe your, your podcast once it's released? Because it, it's this will be really, so we're recording this on uh, uh, June 29th. This is going to be released, I think, the second week in July, I believe. Are we close to release?
0: My Master Coach project is due July 12th. So I don't think it's going to be approved in time. But when it happens, you will be one of the first to know.
1: Awesome. Awesome.
0: What's your website? Diane Wingert
1: Coaching. Okay. So it's uh, D-I-A-N-N-W-I-N-G-E-R-T coaching.com. Right.
0: Yeah. And it's it's an unusual spelling for Diane. People have been trying to give me an E for years. Please don't. It's just D-I-A-N-N.
1: <laughs> so um, hold off the E and uh, we'll have a link uh, for everything um, on, on the show notes. Uh, for this episode, which will be uh, erictivers.com slash whichever episode this ends up being, whatever the episode number, you can find the show notes uh, there. So Pam, thank you so, so much for coming on the show and for sharing so much of your story and your experiences of being in the uh, in the coaching group. Um, any final thoughts?
0: It's never too late. Mm-hmm. I think that thought that it's too late hold so many people back in so many areas. And I just refuse to believe that. I want to make the third chapter of my life blow the socks off the first two. And getting this very critical piece of information about myself is kind of like the key to unlock a very long-held misunderstanding about me. And I intend to make the most of it. So if you are a person late in life who has been diagnosed or is thinking about being diagnosed, give yourself the gift of finding out one way or the other, and then give yourself the next gift of the freedom to reinvent yourself and create your ADHD friendly life. If I can do it, I know you can too.
1: Mm. Let's, uh, Let's end it there. That was pretty good. You couldn't have written that better. <laughs> Dan, thank you so much.
0: Thanks. I'm always happy to spend extra time with you. And since our group ends tomorrow, this was one more chance.
1: This was fun. This was fun. Last last day is tomorrow. We'll see, uh, see how many tears I shed. I've been known to cry mm-hmm. in the last session. I'll be
3: right there
0: <laughs> with you.
1: Dan, thank you so much. See you then. This is Eric Tibbers. Thank you for listening and congratulations for making it to the end. ADHD Rewired is more than just a podcast. We are a community focused on learning, growing, and connection. The website is ADHDrewired.com. You can find summaries and additional resources for each episode. Learn more about the ADHD Rewired Coaching and Accountability Group and sign up for my email newsletter to get exclusive content that you won't get anywhere else. It's all at ADHDrewired.com. Support ADHD Rewired and help replenish our coaching group scholarship fund by becoming a monthly patron at patreon.com slash ADHD Rewired. Different levels of support get different perks. You can give just a buck or three or five bucks a month or more. Every little bit helps. And it's an awesome way for you to let me know that you value this show the community, and everything else we do. That's patreon.com slash ADHD Rewired. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Tivers. Subscribe to ADHD Rewired on YouTube to see select interviews and other videos I've made. The ADHD Rewired community is now a secret group on Facebook. So that's one less reason to not just be a passive listener, but to be an active member of our community. Fill out our short screening form at our website, ADHDrewired.com. We screen everyone before they join podcasts change lives. You can make a difference in someone's life by spreading the word about this podcast. Mention it in your online communities or on Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, Quora, or wherever you hang out online. And be sure to share it with your friends, your family, your clients, as well as your coaches, therapists, and doctors. If you're a member of Chad or any other ADHD support group, be sure to tell them about this podcast. You can even show them how to download it on their phone or even do it for them. And if you really love this episode, please hit share on your podcast player. I'm only one person and I count on you to help me spread the message. One of the biggest things you really can do to support this podcast and to help other people discover it is to leave an honest rating and review on the Apple podcast app or on Stitcher or any other podcast app that supports and accepts ratings and reviews. Looking for more ways to listen and learn? Get a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial at Audible by going to audibletrial.com slash ADHDrewired. Need some ideas on where to start other than Brene Brown's Gifts of Imperfection, Daring Greatly, Rising Strong, or her six-hour recorded workshop, The Power of Vulnerability? Then I would recommend The One Thing by Gary Keeler. Oh, and if you by any chance know Brene Brown, please let her know how grateful I am for all of her work and what she means to me and the ADHD community, and that she's welcome on my show anytime. time. And in the one in like 7 billion chance that Brene you're listening, please come and be a guest. Thanks. <laughs> this is Eric Tivers reminding you, keep learning, keep growing, and keep connecting. And no matter how hard it all feels, Remember, we can do hard things. Until next time.